0: Um, good morning, everybody. Um, I have made some JF sheets, um, which Evan uh, has got at the back. If you'd like to have one of those to help you, if you're in that kind of age bracket, there are some pens as well. Just raise your hands up, and the guys will bring them around. If you're older than JF and you'd like to have a sheet as well, I'm sure that's totally fine. Raise your hand. One will be brought to you. Great. Well, um, John already prayed for us, so um, I'm going to just go straight into this. Um... A few, a few years ago, in around 2012, there was a spate of end-of-the-world movies. Did any of you remember seeing any of those? So there was there was the movie called 2012, and then there was The Day After Tomorrow, and then there was The Day After That, or The Day Before That. There, there were just loads of movies that filled the cinema at that time, and, and they all had a similar theme. Obviously, the world was coming to an end through a meteorite, or through um, some sort of weather changes in the earth, or through alien invasion, or whatever it was, and how was the world going to survive? And one common thing theme that kind of went through all these kind of movies was this idea of if the world was going to end, if civilization was going to end as we know it, and you had the opportunity to save, let's say, 100 people, who would you save to recreate the world after it's broken down? And of course, in those movies, who did they choose? It was the the great scientists, and it was the, the great athletes, and it was the wonderful philosophers and all these kind of highly favorable, wonderful people. And it was great news for them that they would get on the new, shiny, flashy ark. But it was bad news for everybody else. Bad news for people like me, an uneducated, unfit Yorkshireman. I would not make it on one of those ships. I would not be chosen. I would be left behind. And as we read the passage of Scripture today that we've got, this wonderful invitation of Jesus, we have this question that is kind of being posed to us. It's this, this, We're told in the Bible that God is going to recreate the world. We're living in a broken world that's falling to pieces because it's rejected God. And He's going to recreate it one day. He's going to do away with with everything that's broken and and sinful. And He's going to recreate it in, in a new and perfect world. And the question is what kind of people is He going to bring into that world to recreate it with Him? What kind of people is He going to rescue? Who is He going to invite? Well, in today's message, I've got three headings for you that kind of look at this passage. The first one is Jesus' joy at the invite. Jesus' joy at the invite. And then we're going to look at Jesus reveals the invite. Jesus reveals the invite. And finally, we're going to look at respond to Jesus' invite. Respond to Jesus' invite. So, firstly, Jesus' joy at the invite. He starts off at the beginning of this by just breaking out in praise to the Father. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. But when when you read this passage in context, it it doesn't make that much sense as to why Jesus would all of a sudden break out in spontaneous praise. If you look back at verse 23, if you've got your Bibles open, let me read this verse to you. So this is what Jesus is saying just before he says these words. And you, Capernaum, will will you be lifted to the heavens? No you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So Jesus has gone through city after city and he proclaims God's judgment on three major cities in the previous verses. Now, you've probably heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they basically were, were, were two cities in the Old Testament, two archetypal evil cities that rejected God, who God destroyed with fire and sulfur. In, in, a, in, a, in dramatic ways. And by referring to these places as being worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, he's saying, look, these guys are bad. This is, these guys have rejected God's message, and God's judgment is going to come upon them. So Jesus has gone through these cities, these major cities, and he's performed miracles. That's what he's done, he's proclaimed the message of God. And everywhere he went, when he went into these cities, we were reminded by Daph over the past few weeks that, the, that people got a glimpse of the new world that God was creating. Um, sickness was defeated. Evil fled from the presence of Jesus. And Jesus preached a message of hope. And how did people respond to this? Well, we're told in the previous verses that while some did come, city after city after city rejected the message of God. Well, how did Jesus respond to this? Did he want to give up? Change his message, maybe? No. Despite all this, Jesus isn't tempted to do either of those things. Instead, he turns around. He he stops looking at the world out there that has rejected his message, and he looks at his disciples. He looks at his disciples and he says this Jesus I pra- Jesus at this sorry at this time Jesus said I praise you Father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and you've revealed them to little children yes Father this is what you were pleased to do He looks at his ragtag bunch of disciples he looks at tax collectors ex terrorists Uneducated fishermen, truly the outcasts of society, the, 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 the Republic, the public, not Republicans, the publicans, the, 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 the people that nobody else had wanted, the religious leaders would have overlooked, but Jesus looks at these people. The kind of people that if you were wanting to rebuild the world, you would not give them invites. And he breaks out in spontaneous praise to his Father in heaven. And he gives him glory because these are the very people that God has chosen to remake his world with. These broken bunch of ragtag people. And Jesus can't stop praising God for them. He loves the fact that the Father has revealed himself to these little children. He's excited. He's overjoyed. And this is great news for me. And it's great news for you. It's great news for us. Because this is the wonderful promise of Jesus. He's looking for weary and tired and broken people. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? So, how can we apply this? Well, there's a couple of ways to apply this is is as we look out into the world, you know, it's easy for us, we've got this message that's pray, go and invite, to take the gospel out to Chesington and beyond. And we go out there and we invite people to things and often they say, No, and we've been doing this for years and some of you have been doing this for longer than I've been a Christian. And still we see nearly twenty thousand homes of people that don't respond to the gospel. And it it breaks our hearts and we feel weary and we feel burdened. Well, maybe it's time that we just take our focus off that for a moment and bring our focus into this room. And look around to the things that God is doing amongst us. And as I think about just the past four years that I've been in this church, I've seen people come into this church from, from outside who have been rescued and saved by Jesus not impressive looking people in the world standards, people like me, people like you, just ordinary people with broken lives that Jesus is calling, Jesus is welcoming, and he is rejoicing over. God is saving lives, he's transforming people in this place, amongst us, in this room. And Jesus isn't unimpressed with you or me. Jesus isn't Despairing over the fact that we're so useless, or that I'm so useless. He is rejoicing before his Father in heaven. He's rejoicing over you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We've got nothing to offer him, but our broken selves, and he rejoices over us because we are the kinds of people that God has chosen to reveal himself to. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we need to rejoice in that too. Oh, praise you, Father, for choosing broken people like me, like you, to remake your broken world. How awesome is that truth? How awesome is that? A few years ago, I met a church planter. Um, When I was working in East London, he came to visit me. He was from the States. He was on sabbatical. And while he was on sabbatical, he was visiting evangelists and church planters in different places, finding out their stories, seeing how the gospel was working. And he came over to England for a month. And I I spent a day with him. And he came and he talked to me about the things that were going on in East London. And um, he he told me that when he goes back from his sabbatical, he was going to go off to Salt Lake City in Utah to plant a church in Mormon country. Now, Mormon country is probably one of the hardest places to, to preach the gospel in America um, because more Mormons per square feet, foot than anywhere else. And just to clarify, Mormonism does not preach the same gospel that we do. It is a completely different alien message. Okay, just to clarify that. And he was going to that place where there, where there are fewer evangelical churches than any, anywhere else in the States. Okay, He was going there to plant church. So what did he do? uh, A year later, I heard from him. He went back over to the States. He went to Utah. He planted his church. uh, Well, he started to plant his church. And what he he wanted to focus on wasn't necessarily all the Mormons. He wanted to reach, to start off by reaching people that were not interested in church at all, the the non-Mormons, the non-religious. And where do you go if you want to meet lots of non-Mormons, non-religious in Salt Lake City? Well, you go to the bars. You go to the pubs. So he started hanging out in pubs. And he started this ministry called Beer and Bible where he would go to these pubs and he'd open the Bible with other guys and 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 whoever would would read there with him. And he would read the Bible and he'd drink a pint of beer with him. And he'd preach the gospel that way. Um, He sent out his first prayer letter. Six weeks later, he lost 50% of his funding because the churches that were funding him didn't want to fund a ministry that was going on in pubs. So he lost a lot of his money. So what did he do? He downsized his house, moved his family into a smaller place, downsized his vision, and he carried on the ministry. And he did this for months. And then one day, it came to the point where he and his court, small core team were going to start their, their services. So they, they, they gathered together. They rented a room. They, they paid for all the equipment. They set it all up, and they advertised everywhere. They invited all the people they'd been working with in the past year and the doors opened and the music began. And how many people do you think came in? One. One lady came in, one broken, lonely soul came in and sat down at the front of that pew in the front of the service. And how did he respond? Well, how would you respond? You spent a whole year pouring out your soul into, into people's lives, reading the Bible with people, and all they would do as you've opened out the invite to everyone, only one person comes along. How did how did he respond? He responded by changing the name of his church to the church for one. The church for one. And he, he, he responded in the right way. He said, look, if, if I pour out my soul in the gospel, inviting all kinds of souls, I'm going to rejoice in the ones that Jesus brings to me. I'm going to rejoice over them. Praise you, Father, in heaven. Praise, praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you would bring the gospel to bear on this one lonely woman that everybody else would overlook. Praise you, Father of heaven and earth. Maybe sometimes instead of despairing over those who don't hear and respond to the gospel, we need to spend more time rejoicing in those who do. Let's rejoice in the ones, in the twos, in the however many's who come and respond to the message of Jesus because He's rejoicing. There is more rejoicing in, 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 in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't. Isn't that a wonderful truth that we could so easily forget? Well, so that's the first point that I wanted to make. The second point is that Jesus reveals the invite. Now, one thing that you might be mistaken for thinking, looking at what Jesus said, was that he, he might, you might think that Jesus is saying that the gospel then is for idiots the gospel is for silly people who can't really think properly I mean he says he's hidden it from the wise and learned and revealed it to little children uh, but that can't be what Jesus means as you go through the gospel it really can't because some of the greatest thinkers in the past hundred years or, or, or however long have been Christians for, for example you've got Immanuel Kant one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived you've got C.S. Lewis in the past hundred years you can't accuse C.S. Lewis of being a fool um, the apostle paul was, was was called, and he was a great, learned man, a wise person you 've got names like Thomas Aquinas, John Lennox, the great mathematician. These guys are not stupid they 're not fools so if jesus isn 't saying the gospel is for, for fools, what, what is he saying? Well, he does go on to define for us, I think what it means by what he means by wise and learned and in this next section, what I think he wants to say to us is this. That it is impossible for proud people, for proud people to know the Father. So Jesus goes on in verse 27, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. He starts by saying, no one knows the Father. In that little phrase, Jesus is highlighting a massive problem for us to unravel. He's saying that God is so different, so far, so above, so over, so other than us, that it's impossible for us to know him. He's so far out of our experience that no one knows the Father. C.S. Lewis, the the famous Christian, intelligent Christian I was talking to you about earlier on, he wrote um, the Chronicles of Narnia and, and many other Christian works and apologetics. He basically made the argument this way. He said that trying to find God by looking at creation or through human reason or through the sciences alone is like trying to get to know William Shakespeare personally by reading Hamlet. On one sense, Shakespeare is in every word on every page, but you will never have a personal relationship with him through looking at his works. Only if you could speak to him, only if you could experience his presence, could you truly know who he is. And we have this great dilemma that God is so far above us that even if he did speak to us with, with, with words that created stars, we would have no possible way of understanding him on our own human level. No one knows the Father. You can't know God through human reason alone or through science. You can't make a telescope big enough to to see God out there in the cosmos. You can't find a microscope microscope powerful enough to see God at work in the atoms. We just can't do that. And if you're an agnostic here today, you've come to visit us, you're thinking, well, see, Ben, you know, Jesus is agreeing with me. You can't really know God. He's just too different from us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say something. He goes on to say more. He says that God has or does choose to reveal himself. Look at verse 27. No one knows the father except the son. No one knows, no one knows the son except the father, sorry, and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. The reason agnostics are wrong is because they assume that God has not revealed himself. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again that God has chosen to reveal himself. And he says he has chosen to reveal himself through his son. There is no other way to know God other than through the son, through Jesus. He had to step down to us because we don't have legs enough to step up to him. In Christianity, there's this wonderful doctrine called the incarnation which basically says that the that in the godhead there's father son and holy spirit and they've always existed three persons in one god and that god the son chose to leave that perfect wonderful eternal joyous home of loving relationship with the father and he came down to earth to to be with people to walk on this earth with people to teach people about what it was like to be in relationship with the father and the doctrine of the incarnation is the only way you can know God. Only if God reveals himself to you can you ever know him. And with that comes a level of humility. You have to surrender to his revelation. You have to surrender to his revelation. Think about it for a second. If, if, there, if you were a little kingdom um, in some small Country somewhere, and there's a, a massive invading kingdom on the horizon. Okay, and they're coming, you know, you've got no hope, you know, they're going to crush you. What are you going to do? Are you going to get out your pen and paper and write down your terms for their terms for surrender to you? No, no, no. The, the, the larger, more imposing force, they're the ones who, who write the terms of surrender for you. And you are supposed to surrender to them. You don't have the choice. They're the ones with all the power, they're the ones with all the choice. And our problem is, the reason why we struggle to know God is that we set terms for him. We say to God, I will only believe in you if you do this or do that. Or if you do this for me or you do that for me. You say, Lord, I will only believe in you if you do more. If you meet me on my terms. But this scripture and the Bible is absolutely clear that you cannot know God that way. You can only know God on His terms. And His terms are this that He has revealed Himself through His Son. And unless you come to Him through His Son, you cannot know Him. You certainly can't know Him as Father. The the Son, the eternal Son, has known God as Father for all eternity. He knows Him in that personal, intimate way. And if you want to know Him like that, you have to come through the one who knows him that way. If you come to God through reason, you may come to realize that there is a God out there somewhere, but you will never be able to call him Father. If you come to God through looking at the beauty of creation, you may realize that God must be beautiful, but you'll never know the beauty of calling him Father. If you come to Jesus through other religions, like Islam, you may come to know God as as powerful and distant and mighty, but you'll only ever be able to call him your master and you be his slave. You may come to know God through Buddhism or Hinduism and see God as some impersonal force that's distant and out there, but only through Jesus will you ever know God in a personal, intimate way and be able to call him Father. And there is no greater joy than being able to call God Father. In this world, there are seven billion people, maybe nearer eight now, I'm not sure. But there are only three individuals on this planet who get to call me father. Only three. Two, one of them is yet to do that. Okay, too young to do it. But only three. That means in the middle of the night, they can cry out to me. And they've had a bad dream. Daddy, daddy. And what do I do? I, I jump out of bed, half asleep, back into the wall, and I run into the bedroom to see if they're all right. Because I'm their father. You know when they stub their toe in the playground and they cry, Daddy, Daddy, what do I do? I run up to them and I want to hug them and I wish that I stub my toe instead of them. Why? Because I'm their daddy and that's what I do. I'm their father. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus is offering to people. He's the only one that can do that because he is the son of the father. And if you want to know the father that way, you can only know God that way through the son. This is a unique promise of Christianity. No other religion comes anywhere near this. And only the Son can give it to you. Well, maybe you've been searching for God for years. And you've, been, you've said to him, look, I'll only believe in you, God, if you do this or that for me. Or, I'll come to you, Lord, but I don't want you to take this part of my life. I'm willing to give you this much, but no further. Maybe you've you've come to the Father and you've said, I'll only come to you when you satisfy all my questions. Maybe you say, I'll only come to you if you won't change me or challenge me in any way. And the Father says, I set the terms and Jesus are the terms that I'm setting. Is that you? I want you to understand that unless you surrender to the Father's revelation of Himself, you will never and can never know Him. Only through Jesus can you know God as Father because only Jesus knows God as Father. The question is then, if this is true, who will the Son choose to reveal His Father to? And the answer is this in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My last point is, respond to Jesus' invite. So who does Jesus, Jesus choose to, to, to invite to this wonderful relationship with God? He says, come to me all. Everyone who will listen, everyone who feels burdened, everyone who feels weighed down by life and is weary. Well, isn't that on some level all of us? It is, isn't it? Whether you feel burdened today or burdened yesterday or burdened tomorrow, everyone will feel burdened at some point in life. That's how life works. And Jesus is throwing this invite out to all. Isn't this great? Jesus invites those who've got nothing to offer him. He's not looking for superheroes. He's looking to be our superhero. That's the wonder of Jesus. It's good news for people like me and for you. That's what Jesus wants. And then he goes on, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now a yoke is, is a wooden beam that, that you'd have between two oxen as they pull the plow. It's a pretty heavy thing to carry. And it sounds like Jesus is saying something um, really hard here. He's saying, look, take up a burden. And he is saying take up a burden, but what he's saying is lay down the heavy burden that you're carrying and take, let, let me deal with that. I want you to take my burden. I want you to carry a new burden. But what does this burden look like in verse 29? For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying that when we surrender to him, to the revelation of his father, he gives us a new load, a lighter burden than the world offers. When we come to him, we find that God isn't a harsh taskmaster wanting to make our lives miserable. We come to a father who wants to lift our burdens for us. Because he is gentle and humble in heart. And he wants to give us rest for our souls. Now, you can find physical rest for a night with a pillow and a mattress. You can do that. But Jesus is offering a rest that is only unique to him. Now, have you ever been away on a long journey? Maybe for a few weeks for work or something like that. And, and you've, you've slept in nice beds, but you weren't, you've slept even for, for a whole lit night. But you never really got rest. I've had this experience. I've been sent away for, for weeks at a time, away from home. And I've stayed in comfortable beds, you know, with lovely thick duvets. And, uh, but it wasn't my bed. You know, and I, I've, I've sat in really comfortable chairs that were technically more comfortable than any chair that I've got at home. But they weren't my chair. You know, I've had wonderful cups of coffee in, in, in fine restaurants, uh, but they weren't my coffee made inside my mug. You know, after three weeks of being away from the kids and from the wife and all this kind of stuff, and you, that seems like rest, you don't really feel rested. You're just tired, and you want to get home. And when you get home, you you fall into your sofa that is shaped to you perfectly. And you, in the evening, you fall onto your your lumpy bed, but it's your lumpy bed. You know every single lump in that bed. And then at night, you, you, your wife. Maybe makes you a cup of tea, and you sit down with your mug that's got, that, was, that your kids gave to you, whatever it was. And they're climbing all over you as you're trying to watch the 10 o'clock news. And you shouldn't feel at rest, but you are at rest because this is where you belong. This is where you belong to be. There's a kind of rest that only home can provide. And what Jesus is saying here is the, the rest that he offers is that kind of rest, but not for your body, not for your mind for your soul, the one who created your soul, the, all, the, all perf- the perfect God of the universe who made you, he designed you in a perfect way, and he designed you to find that kind of rest in him, and you won't find it anywhere else. Only the creator of your soul can give you that kind of rest, rest in the deepest sense, not just rest in a pillow. Rest in Jesus, or if you want to put it another way, Jesus is the mattress for your soul. You were made to rest in Him. You were designed for it. But even though the invitation is thrown out to all, not everyone will accept it. Not everyone will come. Maybe you feel the burden of life, but you just don't want to surrender to Jesus and you say. You know, that can't be the solution. I'm holding out for something better. Well, there isn't anything better I offer. Jesus is the best. Maybe while Jesus is saying, come to you, you're saying, you know, I'm not going to go any further. I've, I've, I've set my boundaries. You come to me. Do this, this, and this, and then maybe I'll accept you. Maybe you think if the world was about to end, you'd be the kind of person that people would be pleased to pick. Well, if that's you, and you feel you've got lots to offer, then you won't come. But if you feel burdened and broken, like all you have to offer is nothing, then you can come to Jesus, and the invitation is to you. And that's for for those of you that haven't accepted that yet before, and that's for those of you that accepted this years ago and have just forgotten what Jesus has to offer. So let me end by just applying this in some very specific ways to two groups of people. First, let me apply this stuff to to Christians, those of you that that know God as Father. It's easy to be weighed down by the world thinking that they're never going to respond to Jesus, feel this burden of the fact all those people won't come if we invite them. Well, spend time rejoicing in what God is doing in this community. Remember the joy of Jesus. Remember the joy of the invite. Not everyone will come, but some will come. And we need to praise Jesus over every single person that does. We need to remember that Jesus is the only one who can reveal the invite. We have this unique message that the world knows. Nobody else is going to take it out there. We've got it. Nobody else can invite people to God. Only we can through Jesus. So we need to remember that. And we need to take our invites out. Invites to to these courses. to to our clubs, to our activities, to church, to every opportunity we can so that we can hold out this invite of Jesus to others. And we need to respond to the invite. We need to come afresh to him and say, yes, Jesus, I need rest for my souls. I don't want to be handing out these invites with this burden on my back thinking it's my responsibility to save people. It isn't. That responsibility lies solely with Jesus. He's the one inviting and we're the ones who are inviting on his behalf. It's his responsibility to change souls and to draw people to him. We can't do that. We shouldn't carry that burden. Okay, and let me apply this to those of you who have not yet come to Jesus. Would you like to know God as your heavenly father? Would you like to know him that way and find rest for your souls? Well then, you can respond to Jesus right now. It doesn't matter your background, your religious, cultural, social background, Jesus is calling you to come. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, all all the sins that have weighed you down before this moment, Jesus is calling you to come. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt or let down, Jesus is calling you to come. It doesn't matter how heavy your load or how stained you feel, Jesus is calling you to come. Maybe you think, I've got nothing to offer. Why would he want me? Jesus is calling you to come. Maybe you've got no strength. Jesus is calling you to come. Maybe you think it's too late. It may be the 11th hour or the 11th hour and 59th minute. Jesus is calling you to come. Maybe you've been wanting to become a Christian for a while now, And you didn't know what to do, just kind of get into that place. Well, Jesus is calling you to come. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to this invitation, that you can respond to him. And in a a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and I'm going to pray. And as everyone's head is bowed, I'd like you, if you would like to invite, to to respond to Jesus' invite by saying, Yes, Jesus, I want to come to you, and I want to surrender. And I want to know, Jesus, God, as my Father, I would like you to raise your hand. And And then I'll pray for you. And you have an opportunity to respond to that invitation now. So let me ask you, if everyone would bow their heads, close their eyes. I'm going to keep my eyes open. And I'm just going to give you an opportunity now. If you would like to respond to Jesus now, if you would like to come to his invite, to know God as your Father, you can raise your hand now. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you guys. You can write, put your hands down now. That's great. Oh, Father God, I just praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have given us a message of hope, of of forgiveness, of joy, and it's all found in Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that he is the rest for our souls that we so desperately need. And I do pray for these individuals that have all raised their hands just now. Lord, I thank you for them. I praise you, Father, that you would call them to respond to this message. And I pray, Lord, that that today you would do something in their hearts, in their lives, that would set the course for the rest of their lives or where they would know you as Father, and they would experience the rest for their souls that can only come through you. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I do pray for everybody else that's here today. Lord, I ask that you would be um, with us, filling us with the joy of this invitation, that we would be filled, just excited to take it out, to invite our neighbors and our friends to to, to experience Jesus, to to come to events, to whatever it may be. Trusting the fruit to you, but understanding that, Lord, we have something to offer the world that nobody else can. So be working amongst us, in Jesus' name. Amen.